class, uh, not everybody, but um, whenever I teach, one of the things I like to teach on is just something that I have uh, done personal Bible study on before and have um, just made some notes and then I just kind of turned those notes into a slide presentation and it's just easier because it's stuff that, I, that I've studied in the past and things that interest me. I love um, teaching or not necessarily teaching, but I love to study uh, uh, the Bible in a uh, basically uh, just, you know, book by book, in context. Uh, I also like to do deep dives so I can understand the context of the books and sort of what happened. Uh, there's a lot that can be, uh, a lot of good information that can be mined out of these uh, scriptures uh, whenever you take the time to kind of do word studies and things like that. And uh, you can blame Pastor Ken and Pastor Danny for that because, <laughs> you know, they uh, I kind of learned from them how to sort of search things out and dig them out and get some good resources too. So anyway, uh, so we'll get started tonight with our just a quick little review. Again, it's not a broad review, uh, but uh, we uh, last week um, I want to say we stopped at uh, somewhere around uh, verse uh, ten or twelve. But uh, so I'm just going to skip through uh, some of the uh, previous verses and then we'll start back where we left off. But uh, anyway, we had uh, Genesis three verses four and five, and uh, I'm going to just read that real quick. And uh, you can turn there if you want to. I've got to get my old man glasses out here. Um, it says, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And uh, it says, The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So uh, there's an implication here. You know, one of the things we observed is that only gods or angels... Uh, knew good and evil at this point in biblical history, which I find kind of uh, interesting. Um, so, in in it, you know, one of the things that uh, that I that thought of too is that um, was only good known by Elohim or angels in heaven before Satan became evil and introduced it uh, to them. So I, that I'm not a hundred percent sure. But um, also think about uh, you know Eve's perspective here. And, uh, you know, I kind of wonder what she thought, you know, because we, we do know that Adam was credited with the sin of, uh, disobe of disobedience. And, uh, but I don't get the uh, thought here, or I don't get the idea that Eve was particularly trying to sin. I just think she, uh, maybe she thought that gaining the knowledge of good and evil might help her uh, understand and serve God in a better capacity, maybe. Uh, you know, we, we don't really don't get a tone that uh, she was deliberately, uh, you know, trying to break God's rule. Also, uh, I think a bad form of self-awareness may have been what led to the fall. Again, this is my opinion, uh, meaning that uh, I believe that Eve was originally taught to serve Adam in the stewardship of the garden. And uh, then while Adam served and taught her some of what Jesus taught him, I think that when her perspective changed to improve herself, uh, you know, by eating this forbidden fruit. So in other words, uh, you know, I think that maybe she had never really thought about herself. She, her, her thought processes were only about this, uh, serving the garden, serving Adam, because that's all she knew. And then all of a sudden Satan comes in and says, hey, yeah, but what about you? You know, what about, you know, here's some, here's some information that you could get. Here's some knowledge you could have that'll make you a much better servant, a much better person. So, uh, it, it's possible that uh, I think that Eve may have thought that eating of the fruit, if she gained this knowledge, that maybe it would make her better. Um, so I think, again, it, I think it was self-awareness. She never really thought of herself before that point, and then all of a sudden she started thinking of herself. Um, all right, so let's read down Genesis 3, 6 real quick. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And so uh, here we have, um, uh, you know, when, when Eve saw the fruit, it's, it's pleasant to the eyes. And so uh, one of the things that's interesting is I get the idea here that she probably didn't particularly pay a lot of attention to the fruit up until this point. Then it, it's like it got shown to her or like, hey, this is, this is something really special. You should pay attention to this. And 
I know that there's been times in my life where, uh, you know, I take notice of things that I didn't take notice of before when they're pointed out, and then it just kind of gets stuck in your mind there about, uh, oh man, you know, this is, uh, you know, I kind of skipped over this, and uh, I know that uh, there's been a lot of times when, um, you know, when I perceive something to be not good, and uh, this is this is a terrible example, but I'm going to share it anyway. When Lauren lived at home, she says, I want, as a family, I want us to sit down and watch The Greatest Showman. And I don't know how many of you guys have watched that, but I was like, oh, a musical. You've got to be kidding. Uh, you know, wasn't interested in it whatsoever. Uh, and so for weeks, even Michelle was with me on this one. We were like, yeah, maybe, maybe next time or whatever. We have this uh, every week when the kids were small, we had movie night. Every Tuesday, it was pizza and a movie. We would uh, throw down a blanket in the living room, uh, go pick up a pizza, and all four of us would just sit on the floor and watch a movie. And we made it a tradition. In fact, now when Lauren comes home, she's like, we're doing movie night, right? And it's like, yeah, so it's a tradition. So anyway, we put this movie off, and I was like, oh, I don't want to watch it. And finally, she asked again for probably like the fifth time, and I was like, okay, I've already promised her later. We've put her off two or three times. We're just Let's just suck it up, and we'll watch it. And when we watched it, I actually liked the movie. And I was like, okay, so since then, I've probably seen it about 20 times. Uh, not, by, not because I volunteered to do so, but it's not bad. It doesn't bother me that much. Turns out the music's actually pretty good if, you've, if you haven't seen it. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I mean, again, this is this is a terrible example, but just it just goes to show, you know, something that I kind of skipped over, really didn't pay a lot of attention to, and then uh, we had Lauren, you know, keep, keep keeps bringing this up. But anyway, so my perception changed, and so that and that's kind of what we're looking at here. So the word "saw" is also perceived. So it's her the way she sees the fruit. So it's not doesn't look any different than it did before, but she never thought about it in that light. Never thought about it. So, Also, um, you know, so, something else, too, is that uh, we, it, it, it also appears that until Satan spoke to Eve, she never considered the fruit of this tree to be food at all. She seems to be, uh, you know, whenever he says uh, it was the tree was good for food, uh, so now she recognizes, okay, this, could, this, is, a, this is a viable food option. Um, she never thought about that before. Also, um, you know, here we have that, uh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Uh, Eve never paid much attention to the fruit of this tree before, uh, before now, but because these things have been pointed out by the serpent, these new considerations likely consumed her, consumed her thoughts. Have you ever been... Uh, and I'm trying to think of another good example for this, but again, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying about the movie at our house, where, you know, there's something that's been there and, um, you know, that, that you've walked by a thousand times and there was some information about it that you didn't know and somebody tells you, uh, you know, uh, I want to say, uh, trying to think of a good example, um, We I know that at our you know, at our house, you know, if there's anything, um, especially when the kids were little, here's a, here's a good example, here's a good example. When I was a kid, we had this, my dad had this ceramic uh, squirrel. <laughs> sounds so stupid, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Had this dumb-looking ceramic squirrel that stayed on the shelf in his office forever. And we, you know, I remember I looked at that thing a hundred times, and I just thought, okay, he just got weird decor choices, you know, okay. Not a big deal. Until one day, my mother just happened to be talking, and she was like, yeah, you know, we've got this antique that belonged to your great-grandmother, and it came from this weird location somewhere, and she preserved it and brought it over here. And it, and it turns out it was that squirrel. And I was like, I'd looked at that thing. If I'd looked at it once, I'd probably looked at it 500 times, never thought about it. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't quit thinking about it. I was like, man, I want to go back and look at it again, take a second look. And so once she told me that, it just started to, you know, I started thinking about that dumb squirrel in my dad's office. And, and I think it's a similar situation. She's been by this tree a hundred times, and she knows kind of what the perceived rules are. 
And then it's been presented to her, hey, there's something really special here, and you're missing out on this. And, you know, it had to just maybe consume her mind a little bit. And then we, uh, we also talked about, uh, you know, an, an interesting observation. Satan uh, uses the form of, of the eye as the portal to reach people. Uh, so, you know, we see where Eve saw the beauty of the fruit of the tree. David sees Bathsheba from the roof of the king's house. Satan knows, uh, shows Christ the city during the temptation and offers it to him. And he takes him up. But God uses the portal of the ear. Uh, seven churches in Revelation. Who hath an ear to hear. Uh, and there are also 39 proclamations to hear the word of the Lord in the Bible. So God uses the portal of the ear. All right. So let's, uh, I'm going to keep reading down here. And uh, let's see. We're going to go. I think I've already read verse three, uh, verses 6. But uh, let's see here. So... Uh, Next, we're going to go to, yeah, okay. So when the woman saw a tree to be desired to make one wise. So now we talked about perception. And uh, Eve now perceives this tree to be valuable in a new way that she had never considered. Basically changes what she believes about this fruit. And uh, so it's, you know, Satan subtly, uh, uh, subtly uh, changed uh, Eve's mind and her perception of this tree by you know, convincing her that it contains an instant remedy to, for her to acquire a new form of knowledge uh, of God and that she, would de that she should desire it. So he's, you know, he's basically telling her, hey, you should want this. And uh, this is important because prior to this, like we said, uh, you know, prior to this, Eve never really considered a whole lot about the fruit other than the basic rule that, she, that, she, uh, that she'd been told about it. So uh, also, you know, one of the things, too, to point out here is that, uh, and I think we we may uh, end up going back over that again too, but, uh, you know, where did Eve learn the rule of the garden from? You can speak up. Where did he, where'd she learn it from? From Adam. So Adam, it, it's starting to be clear that Adam gave her some bad information, or, or, or rather than, this actually fits into what pastors talked about on Wednesday night, where Adam added, I think, this is my opinion, I think Adam added... Uh, it just seemed easier for him to protect her and say, hey, just don't, uh, don't touch it. We're not supposed to eat of it. Just don't touch it. And so uh, I don't think Eve made that up. I think she, that's what she was told by Adam. Uh, so, you know, it was his job as the leader in that relationship and the leader inside the garden or the manager, the overseer. I think he just gave her an extra piece of information to protect her, keep her away from it, and it came back and bit, it, it ended up, uh, coming back to bite him in the in the end, uh, uh, no pun intended. But anyway, it, like they basically, you know, whenever Adam, uh, you know, I, like I say, I, I want to say he probably said something like that to protect her, but then it it allowed Satan to be able to come in and make him look like a liar, basically. So uh, also, you know, Satan manipulated her into changing her view, uh, and she went from being off limits to eat into being good for food so pleasant beautiful to look at and uh all that good stuff all right so now we're gonna kind of pick things up i think here let's see uh i want to say that's kind of where we left off so we're, anyway we're gonna start at uh, i left myself some gaps in here and i tried to run over my slides before so you guys will just have to forgive me as i kind of bumble through this uh hopefully not too much uh confusion so she took of the fruit and did eat I don't think we got to this part last week. So um, in uh, verse 3, 6, uh, Eve is not the one credited with the original sin, even though she is who broke the law first. Which, again, I think is interesting and, and um, part of kind of what we were just talking about. Um, in fact, in 1 Timothy 2.14, it said, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So she is credited with sin, just that uh, not credit, credited with the original sin. So I think, uh, again, I think it's possible that Eve's intent was pure uh, overall, even though it broke God's law. But we're told in, in 1 Timothy 2.14 that Eve's sin was being deceived. And this is what put her in the transgression, as the verse says. So um, if she was deceived, that means that she didn't mean to break the law. Right? I mean, if she's deceived, because otherwise it, she would have been credited, she would have been, you know, the sin would have been credited to her in a different way. 
but she was deceived. So I think that also uh, lends credence to the fact that she was not trying to sin against God. I just think that she was fooled, and, it, and a lot of it goes back to the, the Adam. So, uh, and if Eve was in the transgression, uh, it's, uh, 2 Timothy 2.14 says, uh, then she, and then she sinned first, why is Adam still charged with the original sin? So uh, we'll, we'll find out here in just a minute. So uh, Adam is definitely credited with the original sin and not the woman. So even though she, uh, she is the one who initiated this original sin and, and was the first one to take a bite of the, of the fruit, um, the, uh, here, this is something interesting that really changed my perspective of this whole study, and it's this. Uh, Job is the one who gives us, who unlocks the secret of why Adam was originally, uh, originally uh, credited with this sin. Job uh, 31, 33, If I covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom. So, uh, Adam, I want to say, maybe he knew, you know, uh, you can explore what that means, I guess, but to me... Maybe it means that uh, when we were talking about Adam adds an extra rule or adds something, Adam knowingly gives her the bad information. I don't know um, if you guys have any uh, thoughts about that. but So Adam hid the iniquity in his bosom. So I uh, also think that, um, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about, you know, what maybe what that iniquity was, obviously... It could have been that he knowingly went into this sin, like knowing full well what he was doing, unlike her being deceived. Uh, but I think it also goes back to him being the leader, number one. And two, I think he, he, he did it knowing what the consequences are, 100%. And we'll, we'll actually explore that a little bit here in just a minute. So going back to the 3-6. So uh, looking at, uh, at that, she took, the, uh, she took of the fruit and did eat. And Eve is not the one credited with the original sin, even though she is who broke the law first. And of course, like we said, let me go back through this. But then she gave also to her husband, and he did eat. So, uh, so now we're, you know, we're going to start uh, thinking about this a little bit. Why would Adam eat not being deceived? Because we know he wasn't. The Bible tells us that. Um, let's see here. We'll keep going. So, you know, why did Adam eat of the fruit offered to him by his, by his wife? So we just read how Adam was not deceived. He made an intentional choice. I think that Adam willingly ate of the fruit because Eve had already eaten of the forbidden tree and broken God's one law of the garden. Um, I'm pretty sure here that uh, Adam was, knew that she would die uh, for, this, for this sin. And Adam's love for Eve was so great, I believe that maybe he chose to sacrifice himself with her rather than let her die alone or to be or, or to be alone once more so if we put ourselves in adam's shoes and because i thought about this for the longest time and it's the only good reasonable answer i could come up with adam had been in the garden alone for quite a while prior to eve being there jesus was present there but i doubt i mean you know i don't know that jesus actually jesus didn't live in the garden with him i think jesus came spent time with him discipled him and then, you know, and he was alone. And I, I really just in my heart really feel like Adam's love for her was so great that he was just like, well, I mean, if she's going to die, then I might as well go too, or I might as well go through this experience with her and, and you know, be, be better than being alone. So I don't know that that's true. So that's just simply an opinion. If you guys have, a, have uh, another thought on that, that would be good to hear. Um, but... Uh, I know that um, something else, too, that's interesting is uh, Eve, you know, she had just eaten of the forbidden fruit and did not immediately drop dead. How did that... So I wonder, imagine how Satan may have manipulated that situation a little bit. Because may, maybe they... May, you know, do you guys think Adam and truly understood what death was? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe he did, but she she didn't just eat of the fruit and drop dead. Well, God told him that she, that she was that they would die if they ate it, and it seemed like again that this may have been a situation where Satan is like, 
I told you. See, you told you so. Not realizing that, uh, that you know, dying just meant no more access to the sustaining tree of life. I have another whole Bible study that I did on the tree of life that I think is interesting. Um, and we won't get to anything anywhere near it tonight, but I'm going to sidestep and tell you there's lots of uh, textual proof that really the tree of life was the key to how they survived, the key to how they were renewed. And that's why they had access to it. Uh, I also think, uh, I think I mentioned last week about the, uh, why does the cherubim, why, were, why was a cherubim put at the entrance of the gate? To keep people out. If you're just keeping people out, then you don't need a cherubim. Cherubim is a super angel. It is like the, I mean, it is the quintessential uh, special forces of the angel world. I mean, you don't mess with them. They, you know, they they know what they're doing. They're they're the strongest and most, uh, you know, Satan, uh, or Lucifer was a cherubim. So uh, I think, uh, you know, based on some studies that I've done, is one of the reasons is that he, they guard they they were guarding the way to the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is no longer here, but we're going to see it again. It's brought back up in the book of Revelation. So there's, the tree of life is an essential piece to this puzzle, and we don't really know in full what it is. All we know is that it gets brought back. It was here, and then God took it away, and then we're going to get it back. So I believe that the tree of life was the key to their sustainability, and without being able to eat from the tree of life, third law of thermodynamics happened, or second law, or whatever it is, you know, where... Age happens, degradation is a thing, time affects the body, all those things where it start, things start wearing out is basically uh, what it boils down to. And I think the tree of life really helped, you know, at least in the human part of it. Now, the curse affected everything. It didn't just affect the tree and all that kind of stuff. It, you know, obviously, uh, the earth itself was cursed. The ground, God cursed the ground, and uh, it just went uh, a lot of different, uh, covered a lot of different places. But that's what I think. Um, but I think, you know, if you think about it from their perspective at the time, I wonder if Adam thought, well, maybe, uh, I mean, so you could see this situation. He's there and he's like, uh, he sees her eating the fruits and she's standing there. She eats it. She doesn't die. And then she's like, Hey, this is good. Tastes great. Why don't you come get some? And he's like, well, she's still living. And so maybe he comes up there. You know, and he's like, I know what God said, but, you know, maybe Satan's onto something here. I don't know. He started second guessing it, but he would he would have been the one to know. But anyhow, yeah, that's I don't want to rabbit trail too much, but, <laughs> but basically that's uh, that's what I think uh, probably happened. So let's see if this thing's going to go. All right. Yeah. Ever wonder. Why did Jesus place food in the middle of the garden that he didn't want Adam to eat? You ever thought about that? Yes. So the, I, I, I had to think about that one for a long time because people want to accuse God of all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I think... Um, so here, this is... I, I wrote this out and I'll just show it to you guys. I, this is... My opinion, Jesus knew that man needed boundaries and the discipline to honor them. Free will cannot exist without boundaries that give us choices. No social structure will last unless mankind mutually honors the boundaries put in place by God and each other. Uh, the boundary of the tree teaches the importance of self-governance, which that's very important, self-governance, that must be practiced for peace to exist. The fall was a result of rejecting God by ignoring the responsibility of self-governance. The sin of pride and selfishness is grounded in violating spiritual, personal, and social boundaries. What better way for mankind to understand the need of pure self-governance and order for free will to exist in harmony with God and our fellow man? Think about this. When, you're, when we're in heaven, when we're in eternity, how important is self-governance going to be? It's imminent. You have, to, you, you have to abide by the rules that God has placed. And I, and I mean, I hate to think of them as rules. I really think of them more as boundaries. But it, still, at the end of the day, you have, you, you know, you're, you're putting others before yourself. You're respecting. Uh, in other words, to, in a, to live in peace, if, if my intentions for you are the best that they can be and your intentions for me are the best that they can be, and then we honor the boundaries that we set, 
there's no, there's no, there's no war. You know, this, this is what, uh, I think this is the eternity that Jesus has for us. Uh, you know, where we, where, where peace reigns. But unless you, unless internally for free, and here's the thing, this is required for free will. You have to look inside yourself and go, okay, here's a boundary. I need to respect that. Here's a boundary. I need to respect that. And um, obviously there's nuances to this, and I mostly mean this for eternity, whenever we're under righteous, the righteous rule of Jesus Christ. But it's important that, uh, you know, you being able to govern yourself and have the discipline to do so uh, in order for eternity. Uh, you know, it, and here's the thing. It is the most basic of principles, yet it will be the key to living with God in eternity. The purpose was demonstrating obedience and honoring God's boundaries. So demonstrating obedience again, is self-governance where you understand that you have a righteous leader that, who has these boundaries and you, you honor them within yourself and you choose to do so. That's the free will part of this thing. So anyway, uh, fully believe that the purpose of that tree... Because, you know, also, another point to it is there could have been a lot of rules. God could have said, do this, don't do that, don't do that. He didn't. There was one rule. One, one rule. That was all, all that was in the garden. Don't eat that. He didn't say don't touch it. He didn't say any of that. There was one simple rule that allowed free will to exist inside the garden. And that was it. So, anyway. Um, so let's uh, keep reading uh, verses, verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. All right, we're about to get into some deep stuff here, so I, you guys will just have to forgive me. I'm going to try not to get too, too nuts, but... Uh, so, when the Bible says the eyes of them both were opened, is this a supernatural awakening of knowledge and understanding, or is it simply a realization of wrongdoing and fear of consequences? Because you could, and I've seen, I've seen arguments for both sides of this. I don't really have an opinion because I have no clue, but I just think it's interesting. Some people believe that uh, they, they knew what they knew, they take a bite of this fruit, and then all of a sudden, fairy dust falls on them and they magically know something they didn't know before other people including pastor danny i talked to him about this too by the way believe that it was they never uh, like i was saying with eve where there was some certain things that she never thought about before but then all of a sudden this rule gets broken and then they're like oh wow we just we just broke a rule and they suddenly understood what wrong was because they broke the rule it was and so I don't know which one it is. I have no clue. Um, there's good cases for both if you read some opinions on them. Um, uh, anyway, so anyway, it was just kind of it's kind of wild. I, I thought about it. Like I said, I don't really have an opinion. I think there's ca cases for both. It really doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. The bottom line is they broke the they broke uh, God's boundary. Um, so the next thing here it says, and they knew that they uh, were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So I'm going to, uh, like I say, without getting too wild here, um, some Bible scholars, and actually some very good ones, believe that Adam and Eve in their before sin bodies may have been clothed in light or something like that. And the reason they believe that is because uh, Satan, I mean, I keep saying Satan, but Lucifer uh, was clothed in light. Remember, that whenever, remember what happened with Moses whenever he asked if he could see the Lord? God had to hide him in the cleft of the rock. He was so bright. He would, if, if he had seen God's face, he would just burned him alive probably. I don't know who, who knows what would have happened. But it is believed that this light disappeared uh, that clothed them. I mean, because imagine, you're not naked. And then, I mean, all of a sudden you are naked. That makes sense for what Adam is saying here where he says, uh, you know, that, they knew, that suddenly they knew they were naked. Uh, or it was just it's presented that way, that it could be that way. And it would make sense because, um, you know, I'm not saying that that, that, that is what, it, what happened, but uh, again, I just, uh, I've read some interesting commentaries on that uh, from people that really believe that because of, we see other biblical characters that were clothed in life, there's no reason to believe in their perfect sinless bodies. Maybe they were. I don't know. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, uh, so here is, oh, something that I skipped over before uh, whenever we were reading the first part of that is uh, the word opened or uh, pakwa in Hebrew, according to 
uh, Strong's H6491. I got to make you guys think I'm smart, so I give you my Strong's reference. It means to be observant. So they basically, that, what I was making the point there is that when it says both their eyes was open, it just meant they went from observing one thing to observing another. So I don't, again, don't really know what that means other than the fact that uh, they were either supernaturally made aware of something or a realization came upon them. Um, so, uh, and basically Adam and Eve, uh, yeah, simply put, they understood something then that they did not understand, uh, they understood something that they did not understand until now. That's another way of putting it. Also, um, so when we, to make our little uh, point here, it says that they knew they were naked or uncovered. So th again, this is when you look at the what the word naked here actually means. Uh, when you look up the the, you know, one of the main meanings here is uncovered. Um, so now all of a sudden they knew they were uncovered. Um, you know, again going back to the before sin bodies possibly uh, being clothed in light, um, but. You know, it's like when they sinned, that light uh, or perfect covering faded out or ceased to exist. Also, um, uh, yeah, I put, put some notes in here. Who all was clothed in light? Jesus was. Uh, Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Lucifer. Uh, many angels that are, that are named. Um, so there's, the, and I know that there's probably other instances around, but uh, besides this one. Uh, but uh, so this is a, you know, one of the things that's interesting, too, about this part about being naked or covered, uh, going back to we'll hit this third point here, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, aprons. Um, how often do we try to cover our own problems with fig leaves? Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, there has been so many times I have messed up and wanted to try to fix it myself or try to cover it up or do something else. And I think this is. Uh, I, w one of the guys that I read a lot actually says uh, this is this is man's first attempt at religion. Uh, you know, covering basically uh, just using uh, something to cover himself. You know, what he is is he's, Adam tries to make things right or or tries to right a, a wrong here by covering himself. I don't know how you can, if you want to look at it that way. Um, but uh, anyway, it's kind of kind of funny, and uh, that's why I kind of threw this in here. But something to note, too, is it says they sewed fig leaves together. So something else, too, is you see these pictures, and it's got, you know, Adam walking around with his little loincloth, you know. This, and by the way, fig leaves are huge. If you've ever seen them, I mean, they're like this big. They're, they're humongous. But it says they sewed them together. So what that means is, is Adam had a fig suit, fig leaf suit. So, I mean, he, they... If you, when you sew fig leaves together, that covers a lot of stuff. I'm just telling you. So, I mean, they had a full, they had a full, I mean, he, he had full covering. They, these pictures where they just have a leaf over, uh, you know, where the sun don't shine and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, not true, because the Bible tells us they sewed them, sewed them together, and they're humongous. Man, those things are like this big. So, they, I, mean, they, I mean, they had a full outfit. So, who knew that uh, Adam could sew, you know, anyway. That's, a, that's another whole little funny joke right there, Adam being able to sew. But uh, anyway, so they, they uh, you know, I just thought that was funny. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verses 8. And it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So, you know, this would have been... Uh, you know, if you know your interactions with Jesus, how many times in the Bible do we see recorded that Jesus lost his cool? Does anybody know how many times? Because I can I can only think of one. I can only think of one where he just he just went grizzly. Yeah, he, he went full grizzly bear. Well, so, huh? Oh yeah, fig tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a couple. Well, they. What's funny is, is I don't get the idea that Jesus was calling to Adam in a, you know that, you know how it is on Saturday, you know, or if you're at home when you were little and you did something wrong and your mom's like, hey, Benjamin, Ma if I heard Benjamin Matthew, I knew it was over before I even, she even got to me. So, uh, but you know, I don't, I don't get the sense that Jesus walked into the garden going, hey, where are you at? You know, 
uh, Jesus being a mentor to Adam, which is what I fully believe that he was, I believe he's just, he's very calm. It, it, he's not surprised by what's happened, of course. But this is the, you got to remember too, this is the same voice that stilled the raging sea, spoke peace to a man tortured by the demons of legion, and called Lazarus from the tomb. We rarely get the idea that Jesus shouted when he spoke because he doesn't have to. He, he wasn't walking through this garden in anger or anything like that, you know, looking for Adam, you know, to punish him. Because, I mean, let's be honest, he knew what, he knew what, that, what had happened. And uh, so, uh, you know, this, is, this does not seem contextually like the voice of condemnation that we're hearing. He's simply calling for someone that he loves. Um, something too it's interesting here Jesus walking in the garden so you know what this implies Jesus walking implies legs you gotta have legs to walk right legs implies a physical human form Jesus wasn't some kind of glowing orb in the garden he was in he was physically walking in the garden when he was looking for Adam so and that's important to note because sometimes we uh, I remember as a little kid you know I, I, we had this uh but you guys remember those uh, Bibles, the Living Bible or whatever it was where you, when you're a little kid and it's got all the little paintings and it shows uh, all these uh, pictures of it's like a picture Bible basically. And it shows, <laughs> it shows Adam and he's all naked in the bushes and he's all humped over like this and then you just see this light shining down from heaven going, Adam, Adam. And, you know, I think about it now and it's kind of silly when you think about it because that's not how it went. You had Adam who realizes that something has changed, something's different, he, that they have uh, violated the law here, and he's trying his best to try to fix it as best he can with what he's got available to him. And then Jesus is walking through there going, Adam, and probably calling to him very calm, um, you know, being very, uh, you know, just trying to, to reach out and get him to come out. Because I can tell you right now, too, Adam would not have been inclined to come out if Jesus had been walking through the garden, you know, where are you at? Uh, like that, so. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, and I think we're going to get into another point here in just a minute. But like, um, you know, also, so his relationship with Adam is very personal. So this is not the Shekinah glory form of God like he would be, like we'd see in Exodus with Moses. Uh, it's a more, you know, I think this is more proof that Jesus, uh, that this is Jesus and not God the Father. Uh, again, you know, God the Father, we, you know, we talked about uh, last week how, you know, he, there's no record of God ever being seen. Jesus actually tells us no man has seen the Father. Um, so, uh, so there are no recorded instances of Father God in physical form on earth recorded. So, um, also, notice that Jesus was searching for Adam. Obviously, he probably knew where Adam was. The, the point is, is he wants Adam to come, like he, he was seeking to find Adam but he wanted to give Adam the opportunity. This all goes back to free will again, guys, where he wanted, he could have just walked right up to Adam, no matter where he's at. He didn't do that. He wanted to call and beckon for Adam, and he wanted Adam to make the decision to come to him. Again, it's free will. So we're seeing free will being exercised here. Because there's no doubt whatsoever that, you know, that Jesus wanted, you know, he just wanted to beckon Adam really to come out. Uh, also, let's see. You know, it is kind of funny that what you said, uh, Mike. You know, wonder if they really thought they could hide from Jesus. Uh, although I will say this, they were quite well camouflaged, apparently. You know, <laughs> and they're in the Adam in his fig suit, <laughs> fig leaf suit. So uh, anyway, uh, physical human form uh, moving toward Adam and Eve in search of them. Also, you know, Adam and Eve. You know, here we have the hiding themselves from their maker, mentor, teacher, and friend. So you have, you got to remember, their relationship with Jesus was actually quite special up to this point. And so, um, you know, them, them hiding, it definitely tells us uh, we have guilt, uh, maybe, and some shame, under, you know, understanding that the law has been broken, probably a little bit of fear, not really understanding what's going on now that, now that things have been, uh, has been done so uh, they know now that they look different than before Jesus is accustomed to seeing them in whatever whatever way that they are and now Adam suddenly has this awareness that he needs to be covered with something 
So he, you know, puts uh, puts on leaves. So uh, anyway, yeah, just this this whole change in 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 their world there. All right, let's keep reading down to verse nine, and it says, "And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou?" Um, so again, you know, I think uh, why did Jesus call only Adam? You know, we don't. We're, it's, the Bible does not record that he says Adam and Eve. It just says he called Adam. And I think going back to what we mentioned earlier, where we have, uh, you know, that, you know, Eve was there too, but I think Adam was, he was the leader. He was the one Jesus was talking to. I think he, he, so he was the one, he's calling out Adam. Uh, and this is also an inclination too, that Jesus knew about what Adam was hiding in his heart as well. Um, you know, Adam was also the appointed steward of the garden, which gives another reason why I think he was called uh, from there. So, um, you know, Jesus asked Adam where he is. So, do uh, so did Jesus know where Adam was? Hundred percent, he did know that. Um, but Jesus, you know, I really think he uses a calm approach here, uh, even though he knew what Adam had done. And, um, you know, because he could have said, Adam, come here, you know, or come out. He could have called him out. He didn't do that. He just wanted to know where he was. He wanted Adam again. You know, I think this is a reflection of Jesus wanting Adam to practice his free will to come out uh, and, and, uh, and approach. So Jesus is essentially beckoning Adam to talk to him. Uh, you know, a question from one person usually implies an expected answer from another. So he's like, Adam, where are you? He just wants Adam to speak up. Um, so, uh, this kind of brought up another question, you know, as leaders, do we try to use cal the, a calm approach with those who are under our stewardship? So this could be at work. This could be at home. I struggle with this. I'm just going to tell you right now, and my wife will tell everybody what a big sinner I am, but I struggle sometimes with using the calm approach when I know things have gone awry at home. So I'm a lot better. Age has mellowed me out quite a bit. I've softened up some, but, um, but yeah, it's. One of those things where uh, being like, I want to be much more Christ-like uh, in this in this way. Um, so the, the other thing too is that you know Jesus asks a question here, uh, but how often in the Gospels does Jesus use questions to teach those around him? So again, this is another place where you know he's asking Adam, "Where are you?" Uh, there's lots of implications there, you know. Where was Adam mentally? Where was Adam physically? Where where was he at in his realization of his doing wrong? So I mean, you could you could really explore that. Uh, obviously, I think he just means his his location, but uh, and again, just trying to get him to talk. But um, uh, that's uh, that's good. But also, you know, Jesus often asks that of us. You know, where are you in your relationship with Christ? I remember when I was the reason I put that in there is because I was reading this and uh, and I'd kind of put my Bible down I'd got up to go do something and I came back and I was reading it again and it's like you know Adam where are you and I remember thinking man you know uh, Matt where are you um, and you know it just caused me to pause for a second and think you know where am I you know where 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 am I at spiritually and uh, so I think he he asked us that of him as well. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verses 10. I don't know how far we'll get. We'll get as far as we can. Uh, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So uh, here, Jesus, <laughs> or Adam, here's Jesus calling, but admits that he was afraid because he is naked. So uh, we definitely get the idea that Adam didn't come out immediately, but then eventually did. Um. We already talked about this. Were Adam and Eve actually naked before? Mm, I don't know. There's there's some debate there. Um, uh, so it's funny too that um, when I say we already covered that, uh, you know, I think Adam probably panicked a little bit and ends up hiding because you know once this realization comes upon him, he definitely, uh, you know. Again, shame, you know, he knows he knows Jesus, and Jesus has spent all this time with him. He knows he's broken this law. Uh, but something, too, that, uh, that I uh, got to thinking about, does Adam hide alone? So get this, 
it says when Jesus asked Adam, you know, you know, where have you been? And, and then Adam finally answers. He said, I hid myself. He didn't say we hid ourselves. So there's, there's no reason to think that everybody was all grouped together. This conversation that we will see with Adam and with Eve and then with uh, the serpent, uh, also known as Satan, these conversations were not necessarily had where he, he has this conference and he goes, okay, you, you and you. That, that, that was my mom, you know, whenever me and my sisters sister would have a fight. You know, it's like, all right, everybody in the room, come on. And sit everybody down and try to get what was going on. I don't think that's what happened. I think that Jesus had one-on-one -on -one conversations with each of these people. That's my opinion. Um, but here, Adam articulates that he hid himself. He did not hide with her. And I think these are things where, I mean, maybe he was just using a broad term, but what I found in my Bible studies a lot of times is that we're told things like this to give us a better contextual observation of how things were. So imagine this. The other two, even, even the serpent are not there. This is Jesus talking to Adam. It also backs up what we said before about this uh, relationship between Christ and Adam where there you have a mentor and, uh, and you know, a disciple where you know, Jesus is having this conversation with Adam one-on-one. -on -one. It's much more personal. Uh, you know, he's, we're not, he's not having this session where he's uh, you know, about to strike down holy thunder and fire on them. Uh, you know, he's, he's having... Uh, you know, he's, he's wanting to understand the situation, or he's wanting Adam to understand the situation. That's uh, probably a better way to put it. Um, he says he hids ourselves. Um, I, I think maybe Adam was the only one who hid. So I don't know, but we'll talk more about this in verse 12. But I think Adam isolates himself from Eve after committing the sin of disobedience. Um, but yeah, we'll, and we're going to see this too, the, the, this isolation. Um, so let's go to uh, 3.11 here. Um, it says, And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, and that thou shouldest not eat? Man, this sounds like a parent right there big time. Like, have you done what I told you not to do? Because uh, I, I would hear that sometimes. Um, so, you know, Jesus also asked this question, you know, who told you that you were naked or uncovered? Um, so, when Jesus asks who, that implies he knows there's an intruder in the garden. So, Jesus is aware that there is, a, there is someone else in the garden. Um, and we can all assume here that Jesus knew it wasn't Eve. And this is Jesus' way of letting Adam know there's someone else here and I know it. And, uh, I mean, that's again, that speaks volumes when you look at it that way. Like, who told you that you were naked? So who? So he knows. There, he knows that someone else is there. Um, then another question is asked, you know, Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Um, it, this seems like a very fatherly type question. Like I say, as a parent, you know, when you're trying to get the scoop on what's going on when the kids are acting up, you know, just asking them a you know, asking a question. Um, um, I think Jesus' questioning, you know, would have been really relatively short because there was only one law that could have been broken to bring the curse that we still see today. So, and it, so this is the thing too. The only thing that would have made Adam act the way that he had is if he had done something wrong. Wrong implies sin. And there was only one rule. <laughs> it was real easy to flesh out what, went down. I mean, there was one rule. And uh, so for Adam's behavior to be this way, it, didn't, it probably didn't take a lot of conversation for Jesus to kind of get Adam to go, yeah, I did, I did it. Um, so, you know, again, you know, in the Gospels, we see Jesus asking questions in order to get the disciples thinking. I think these questions are not questions that he wanted answers to. He already knew what they were. But it was more to teach Adam or to get Adam's brain uh, in the right place. So... Uh, so let's go back. Oh, well, wait a minute. That take me back. Um. Okay, you yeah, already talked about that. Okay. Uh. Let's see. Yeah, sorry. I think I duplicated my slides a little bit. All right. Let's read uh, uh, verse twelve, real quick. I'll try to 
wrap this up. And the man, uh, and the man said, "The woman that thou, whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat." So, um, here we have Adam. He blames Eve. He, Eve, the woman, she gave me of the tree. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't just blame. Right. Yes. Exactly. So he, he start, but he start, he starts out with blaming Eve, uh, and then. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, I don't know, just just shedding blame. This is something that mankind continues to do, uh, try to turn this around, you know, making excuses. Uh, then as Mike said, Adam blames Jesus, whom thou gavest to be with me. So Adam's like, everything was fine until you gave me this woman to help me out and it's her fault. She did it, and you gave her to me. You know, kind of a deal, I guess. So, uh, since Adam says that Jesus provided Eve, it's his fault. Um, and Adam says Jesus assigned Eve to be with him. So it says, uh, you know, it says, um, you know, uh, to be with me. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me. So it's like you didn't just you didn't just make a woman and put her in the garden. Garden, you put her with me. So. Uh, there's a there's a bunch of implications here where uh, I'm surprised that Jesus didn't kick Adam in the butt. But anyway, uh, just you know, Adam really trying to deny things. Then we have, uh, and you know, the, here's the thing too: we have this, you know, the, what I call the sassy Adam, uh, you know, try, trying to kind of bite bite back, I guess, against Jesus. But this is the same Adam. Uh, in Genesis 2.19, that we saw uh, Jesus lovingly brought every beast created to see what Adam would call them. You know, so Jesus loved Adam so much and He wanted to spend time with him that He would bring things. I mean, Jesus could have named all this stuff so easy. He probably already had names. You know, but He just wanted to see. He wanted, Adam's again, practice of free will here. He wanted to see what Adam would call him, so He brings them. And we're not just talking about one creature but there were several. So this is a relationship. This is something that, that happened. And now we see Adam in fear starts to blame Eve, and then he blames God. And, and again, this is where I really truly feel that Adam, uh, you know, Adam would uh, you know, be isolated. I think he isolated himself. I don't see this kind of conversation happening. I mean, well, he's a real jerk. I can tell you that right now. If she was standing right there and they're right there in front of Jesus and he's like, she did it. Uh, which it, maybe it did happen that way. I don't think it did. I think this is a, a very personal meeting or a personal interaction with just Adam and Jesus. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember, you know, I, I was talking about my own, issues and stuff you know through the years but i'm gonna tell you what early in my marriage i used to blame michelle for provoking me all the time and i'm just being i'm just being straight with you right here there were times that i would say if i'm mad or i'm stomping around the house or i'm acting up it's your fault because you provoked me you shouldn't have provoked me and i'm gonna tell you something that is the dumbest and the lamest excuse that a man could ever use because at the end of the day we control how we react and in fact my dad used to say you you can't control how i can't control how she reacts but i can control how i react and that's 100 percent true and when i swallowed that bitter sour painful pill it made things so much better uh because i cannot blame her for how i act so but but i, I kind of get where adam's coming from just from personal experience if i'm being honest um so also, you know, to my point about, you know, Adam having this, you know, one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, anyway, yeah, so he, let me, before I get there, Adam finally admits he ate of the tree that he was told not to eat. Uh, so he, he, he does finally own it, but only after he blames everybody else, you know, uh, again, which is another, uh, another thing here. So we're not told that Adam and Eve are together when Jesus speaks to each of them. It's possible that what we read in the verse that Adam hid alone, which we already covered. But throughout the Bible, the most con conversational, person-to-person -person interactions with God are done one-on-one, -on -one, not in the presence of others. This is particularly true in the Old Testament, which it, this is, is that. For instance, Cain, Abraham, Jacob, 
Moses and Job, all God had personal interactions with them one-on-one. And we don't see where there's anybody around when these things are going on. And I, it, with this being early on, I can't help but believe this is also one of those things where Jesus is talking to Adam one-on-one when he's asking him these questions. So uh, that's, oh man, that's all I've got. So anyway, uh, something real quick. I'm going to, I can think I can do this in three minutes. This goes back to the earlier study that I did uh, a couple of years ago. Um, there, what I want to do is show you guys this, uh, where the location of, of Eve is. I have a whole other thing on this, which is very fascinating. And there's, there's two proposed locations, but I can tell you, uh, Eve, uh, and I think I can make a really good point for it. So there are two locations. One of them is up here in the north somewhere, and the second one's right here in the, uh, at the tip of the Persian Gulf. 100%, I can just about guarantee you, it is uh, right here at the tip of the Persian Gulf where the four rivers come together. Um, this river, the Pishon River, uh, it, doesn't, it no longer exists. It's not there. Uh, but there are traces of it. And in fact, if you, if you just want some, to kill some time at some point, um, let's see if I can make it through all these real quick. Get, there it is, Eden's Lost River. This guy right here, uh, it's called Expedition Bible. Highly recommend. I don't know if you've ever, you guys have ever watched him, but I, uh, I've been watching a lot of his stuff, and he's very... Um, what I like about him, he's kind of old school. Some of, some of these younger Bible archaeologists, they, they do what I call hyping, and they kind of over-exaggerate certain things. What I like about him, he's, it, it's, just, it's facts. I mean, he's, he's going to take you to locations. He shows you on the maps. He uses a lot of really good uh, old historic documents to point things out, and he mostly uses the Bible, which I think is very interesting. He shows where the Bible gives these locations at, but Eden's Lost River, I think he makes an extremely strong case of where the actual location of Eden was. And uh, just to give you a little clue, a uh, little, uh, little uh, snippet here or whatever, it, it is actually a swampland right now. There is so much water down there, it is unbelievable. But as the point that he makes, if you, uh, there are people that actually live at that location right now, but they're basically swamp dwellers. It looks like the Everglades where you go there. And it's because you have four, right now you only have three rivers dumping into this one area, and it is a massive amount of water. And by the way, the Pashan River and all these rivers that they're talking about, this river, when you see him standing and what his car looks like inside of it, this river is easily, I don't know, it's probably... Uh, it's probably three times, at least three times the width of the Alabama River. It's, it, I mean, it's, it is massive. This is a massive river. And so when you think about these, the conversions of these four rivers, and the Bible's pretty clear about that. The Bible tells us, uh, gives us plenty of static locations of it. And again, it, it really doesn't matter who cares where Eve is, but I mean, uh, where, uh, where uh, the Eden is, uh, the garden thereof. But it's just interesting because it just proves that the Bible is right again, as we've seen, uh, you know, through our studies, Bible's 100% right. But anyway, uh, he also has this, uh, I'm going to X out of this and just show you guys something. Um, one uh, video that he's got uh, up here, I'm not going to show it, but it's the sulfur balls of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, it's not, not transferring over. Anyway, he's got one video where he goes down to where Sodom and Gomorrah is, and there is still burnt human bones ash, burnt rocks, and all that under the sand down there, and there are sulfur balls. He, he takes you down to one of the, uh, uh, one of the old beaches for the, where the Red Sea has receded, and there are actually unburnt sulfur balls there. And it's fascinating. I mean, it, it's, again, the, if you don't watch any of his videos, watch that one, because when I watched that one, it blew my mind. Because they, they went down there, and he can show you in the river wall where the, where the, where the Red Sea is receded. They walk down in there, and uh, you, can, you can actually see. They're actually up so high. In some places, they're up so high you can't reach them. But pull them out, and they pack a bunch of them together and light them on fire, and they, have a camp, they camp there for the night. It's, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. So anyway, all right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for coming in the rain and the cold and all that. And I'll just close in a word of prayer, and we'll get out of here. Lord, thank you so much for uh, just for your word and just that it's true, Lord. We, we love you and 
and just appreciate that uh, you have preserved your word so that we can know more about you and also just point people to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you just give us a safe trip home. And again, just be with those who are sick. There are so many in the church and uh, just provide for them, Lord, return their health to them so that we can see them again uh, this next Sunday. And uh, we just uh, pray again that you just uh, also bless our, our Awana kids too. And uh, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.